Chapter 10 of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 10. As the leopard leaped for the great ape, Miriam gasped in surprise and horror, not for the impending fate of the anthropoid, but at the act of the youth who but for an instant before had angrily struck his strange companion for scarce had the carnivore burst into view than with drawn knife the youth had leaped far out above him so that as sheeta was almost in the act of sinking fangs and talons in akut's broad back the killer landed full upon the leopard's shoulders the cat halted in mid-air missed the ape by but a hair's breadth and with horrid snarlings rolled over upon its back clutching and clawing in an effort to reach and dislodge the antagonist biting at its neck and knifing it in the side. Akut, startled by the sudden rush from his rear, and following hoary instinct, was in the tree beside the girl with an agility little short of marvelous in so heavy a beast, but the moment that he turned to see what was going on below him brought him as quickly to the ground again. Personal differences were quickly forgotten in the danger which menaced his human companion, nor was he a whit less eager to jeopardize his own safety in the service of his friend than Korak had been to succor him. The result was that Sheeta presently found two ferocious creatures tearing him to ribbons. Shrieking, snarling, and growling, the three rolled hither and thither among the underbrush, while with staring eyes the sole spectator of the battle royal crouched trembling in the tree above them, hugging Geeka frantically to her breast. It was the boy's knife which eventually decided the battle, and as the fierce feline shuddered convulsively and rolled over upon its side, the youth and the ape rose and faced one another across the prostrate carcass. Korak jerked his head in the direction of the little girl in the tree. "'Leave her alone,' he said. "'She is mine.' Akut grunted, blinked his bloodshot eyes, and turned toward the body of Sheeta. Standing erect upon it, he threw out his great chest, raised his face toward the heavens, and gave voice to so horrid a scream that once again the little girl shuddered and shrank. It was the victory cry of the bull-ape that has made a kill. The boy only looked on for a moment in silence. Then he leaped into the tree again to the girl's side. Akut presently rejoined them. For a few minutes he busied himself licking his wounds, then he wandered off to hunt his breakfast. For many months the strange life of the three went on unmarked by any unusual occurrences, at least without any occurrences that seemed unusual to the youth or the ape, but to the little girl it was a constant nightmare of horrors for days and weeks, until she too became accustomed to gazing into the eyeless sockets of death and to the feel of the icy wind of his shroud-like mantle. Slowly she learned the rudiments of the only common medium of thought exchange which her companions possessed, the language of the great apes. More quickly she perfected herself in jungle craft, so that the time soon came when she was an important factor in the chase, watching while the others slept, or helping them to trace the spoor of whatever prey they might be stalking. Akut accepted her on a footing which bordered upon equality when it was necessary for them to come into close contact, but for the most part he avoided her. The youth always was kind to her, and if there were many occasions upon which he felt the burden of her presence, he hid it from her. Finding that the night, damp and chill, caused her discomfort and even suffering, 
Korak constructed a tight little shelter high among the swaying branches of a giant tree. Here little Miriam slept in comparative warmth and safety, while the killer and the ape perched upon nearby branches, the former always before the entrance to the lofty domicile, where he best could guard its inmate from the dangers of arboreal enemies. They were too high to feel much fear for Sheeta, but there was always Hista, the snake, to strike terror to one's soul, and the great baboons who lived nearby, and who, while never attacking, always bared their fangs and barked at any of the trio when they passed near them. After the construction of the shelter, the activities of the three became localized. They ranged less widely, for there was always the necessity of returning to their own tree at nightfall. A river flowed nearby. Game and fruit were plentiful, as were fish also. Existence had settled down to the daily humdrum of the wild, the search for food and the sleeping upon full bellies. They looked no further ahead than today. If the youth thought of his past and of those who longed for him in the distant metropolis, it was in a detached and impersonal sort of way as though that other life belonged to another creature than himself. He had given up hope of returning to civilization, for since his various rebuffs at the hands of those to whom he had looked for friendship, he had wandered so far inland as to realize that he was completely lost in the mazes of the jungle. Then, too, since the coming of Miriam, he had found in her that one thing which he had most missed before in his savage jungle life, human companionship. In his friendship for her there was appreciable no trace of sex influence of which he was cognizant. They were friends, companions, that was all. Both might have been boys except for the half-tender and always masterful manifestation of the protective instinct which was apparent in Korak's attitude. The little girl idolized him as she might have idolized an indulgent brother had she had one. Love was a thing unknown to either but as the youth neared manhood it was inevitable that it should come to him, as it did to every other savage jungle male. As Miriam became proficient in their common language, the pleasures of their companionship grew correspondingly, for now they could converse, and, aided by the mental powers of their human heritage, they amplified the restricted vocabulary of the apes until talking was transformed from a task into an enjoyable pastime. When Korak hunted, Miriam usually accompanied him, for she had learned the fine art of silence, when silence was desirable. She could pass through the branches of the great trees now with all the agility and stealth of the killer himself. Great heights no longer appalled her. She swung from limb to limb, or she raced through the mighty branches, sure-footed, lithe, and fearless. Korak was very proud of her, and even old Akut grunted in approval where before he had growled in contempt. A distant village of blacks had furnished her with a mantle of fur and feathers, with copper ornaments and weapons, for Korak would not permit her to go unarmed or unburst in the use of the weapons he stole for her. A leather thong over one shoulder supported the ever-present Geeka, who was still the recipient of her most sacred confidences. A light spear and a long knife were her weapons of offense or defense. Her body, rounding into the fullness of an early maturity, followed the lines of a Greek goddess, but there the similarity ceased, for her face was beautiful. 
as she grew more accustomed to the jungle and the ways of its wild denizens fear left her as time wore on she even hunted alone when korak and akut were prowling at a great distance as they were sometimes forced to do when game was scarce in their immediate vicinity upon these occasions she usually confined her endeavors to the smaller animals though sometimes she brought down a deer and once even horta the boar a great tusker that even sheeta might have thought twice before attacking in their stamping grounds in the jungle the three were familiar figures the little monkeys knew them well often coming close to chatter and frolic about them when akut was by the small folk kept their distance but with korak they were less shy and when both the males were gone they would come close to miriam tugging at her ornaments or playing with geeka who was a never-ending source of amusement to them the girl played with them and fed them and when she was alone they helped her to pass the long hours until korak's return nor were they worthless as friends in the hunt they helped her locate her quarry often they would come racing through the trees to her side to announce the near presence of antelope or giraffe or with excited warnings of the proximity of sheeta or numa luscious sun-kissed fruits which hung far out upon the frail bough of the jungle's waving crest were brought to her by these tiny nimble allies sometimes they played tricks upon her but she was always kind and gentle with them and in their wild half-human way they were kind to her and affectionate their language being similar to that of the great apes miriam could converse with them though the poverty of their vocabulary rendered these exchanges anything but feasts of reason for familiar objects they had names as well as for those conditions which induced pain or pleasure joy sorrow or rage these root words were so similar to those in use among the great anthropoids as to suggest that the language of the manus was the mother tongue dreams aspirations hopes the past the future held no place in the conversation of manu the monkey all was of the present particularly of filling his belly and catching lice poor food was this to nourish the mental appetite of a girl just upon the brink of womanhood and so finding manu only amusing as an occasional playfellow or pet miriam poured out her sweetest soul thoughts into the deaf ears of geeka's ivory head to geeka she spoke in arabic knowing that geeka being but a doll could not understand the language of korak and akut and that the language of korak and akut being that of male apes contained nothing of interest to an arab doll geeka had undergone a transformation since her little mother had left the village of the sheik her garmenture now reflected in miniature that of miriam a tiny bit of leopard skin covered her rat-skin torso from shoulder to splinter knee a band of braided grasses about her brow held in place a few gaudy feathers from the parakeet while other bits of grass were fashioned into imitations of arm and leg ornaments of metal geeka was a perfect little savage but at heart she was unchanged being the same omnivorous listener as of yore an excellent trait in geeka was that she never interrupted in order to talk about herself today was no exception she had been listening attentively to Miriam for an hour, propped against the bole of a tree, while her lithe young mistress stretched cat-like and luxurious along a swaying branch before her. "'Little Geeka,' said Miriam, "'our Korak has been gone for a long time to-day. We miss him, little Geeka, do we not?' 
It is dull and lonesome in the great jungle when our Korak is away. What will he bring us this time, eh? Another shining band of metal for Miriam's ankle? Or a soft doe-skin loincloth from the body of a black she? He tells me that it is harder to get the possessions of the shes, for he will not kill them as he does the males, and they fight savagely when he leaps upon them to wrest their ornaments from them. Then come the males with spears and arrows, and Korak takes to the trees. Sometimes he takes the she with him, and high among the branches divests her of the things he wishes to bring home to Miriam. He says that the blacks fear him now, and at first sight of him the women and children run shrieking to their huts, but he follows them within, and it is not often that he returns without arrows for himself, and a present for Miriam. Korak is mighty among the jungle people, our Korak, Geeka, no, my Korak. Miriam's conversation was interrupted by the sudden plunge of an excited little monkey that landed upon her shoulders in a flying leap from a neighboring tree. Climb! he cried. Climb! The Mangani are coming! Miriam glanced lazily over her shoulder at the excited disturber of her peace. Climb yourself, little Manu, she said. The only Mangani in our jungle are Korak and Akut. It is they you have seen returning from the hunt. Some day you will see your own shadow, little Manu, and then you will be frightened to death. But the monkey only screamed his warning more lustily before he raced upward toward the safety of the high terrace where Mangani, the great ape, could not follow. Presently Miriam heard the sound of approaching bodies swinging through the trees. She listened attentively. There were two, and they were great apes, Korak and Akut. To her Korak was an ape, a Mangani, for as such the three always described themselves. Man was an enemy, so they did not think of themselves as belonging any longer to the same genus. Tarmangani, or great white ape, which described the white man in their language, did not fit them all. Gomangani, great black ape, or negro, described none of them, so they called themselves plain Mangani. Miriam decided that she would feign slumber and play a joke on Korak, so she lay very still, with eyes tightly closed. She heard the two approaching closer and closer. They were in the adjoining tree now, and must have discovered her, for they had halted. Why were they so quiet? Why did not Korak call out his customary greeting? The quietness was ominous. It was followed presently by a very stealthy sound. One of them was creeping upon her. Was Korak planning a joke upon his own account? Well, she would fool him. Cautiously she opened her eyes the tiniest bit, and as she did so her heart stood still. Creeping silently toward her was a huge bull-ape that she never before had seen. Behind him was another like him. With the agility of a squirrel Miriam was upon her feet, and at the same instant the great bull lunged for her. Leaping from limb to limb, the girl fled through the jungle, while close behind her came the two great apes. Above them raced a bevy of screaming, chattering monkeys, hurling taunts and insults at the Mangani, and encouragement and advice to the girl. From tree to tree swung Miriam, working ever upward toward the smaller branches, which would not bear the weight of her pursuers. Faster and faster came the bull-apes after her. The clutching fingers of the foremost were almost upon her again and again, 
but she eluded them by sudden bursts of speed or reckless chances as she threw herself across dizzy spaces slowly she was gaining her way to the greater heights where safety lay when after a particularly daring leap the swaying branch she grasped bent low beneath her weight nor whipped upward again as it should have done even before the rending sound which followed miriam knew that she had misjudged the strength of the limb it gave slowly at first then there was a ripping as it parted from the trunk releasing her hold miriam dropped among the foliage beneath clutching for a new support she found it a dozen feet below the broken limb she had fallen thus many times before so that she had no particular terror of a fall it was the delay which appalled her most and rightly for scarce had she scrambled to a place of safety than the body of the huge ape dropped at her side and a great hairy arm went about her waist almost at once the other ape reached his companion's side he made a lunge at miriam but her captor swung her to one side bared his fighting fangs and growled ominously miriam struggled to escape she struck at the hairy breast and bearded cheek she fastened her strong white teeth in one shaggy forearm the ape cuffed her viciously across the face then he had to turn his attention to his fellow who quite evidently desired the prize for his own the captor could not fight to advantage upon the swaying bough burdened as he was by a squirming struggling captive so he dropped quickly to the ground beneath the other followed him and here they fought occasionally abandoning their duel to pursue and recapture the girl who took every advantage of her captor's preoccupation in battle to break away in attempted escape but always they overtook her and first one and then the other possessed her as they struggled to tear one another to pieces for the prize often the girl came in for many blows that were intended for a hairy foe and once she was felled lying unconscious while the apes relieved of the distraction of detaining her by force tore into one another in fierce and terrible combat above them screamed the little monkeys racing hither and thither in a frenzy of hysterical excitement back and forth over the battlefield flew countless birds of gorgeous plumage squawking their hoarse cries of rage and defiance in the distance a lion roared the larger bull was slowly tearing his antagonist to pieces they rolled upon the ground biting and striking again erect upon their hind legs they pulled and tugged like human wrestlers but always the giant fangs found their bloody part to play until both combatants and the ground about them were red with gore miriam through it all lay still and unconscious upon the ground at last one found a permanent hold upon the jugular of the other and thus they went down for the last time for several minutes they lay with scarce a struggle it was the larger bull who arose alone from the last embrace he shook himself a deep growl rumbled from his hairy throat he waddled back and forth between the body of the girl and that of his vanquished foe then he stood upon the latter and gave tongue to his hideous challenge the little monkeys broke screaming in all directions as the terrifying noise broke upon their ears the gorgeous birds took wing and fled once again the lion roared this time at a greater distance the great ape waddled once more to the girl's side he turned her over upon her back and stooping commenced to sniff and listen about her face and breast she lived the monkeys were returning they came in swarms and from above hurled down insults upon the victor 
The ape showed his displeasure by baring his teeth and growling up at them. Then he stooped, and lifting the girl to his shoulder, waddled off through the jungle. In his wake followed the angry mob. End of chapter 10